Hello, welcome to Rollpoint Exchange. Uh, this is going to be one of our talky episodes. We haven't done one for, I don't think, since November. So I've been feeling a tad bit nostalgic today, and feeling nostalgic with me today are my illustrious co-hosts in alphabetic order. Oh, hey, it's me, Chris. Seriously, we haven't done a talky since November? Or- no, I just huh. threw another game up. It, it, it was the darkest timeline. We all had to just make it through. Yeah, we were not having good times, any of us. Anyways, so yes, it is me, Chris, the other host. Awesome. Oh, hello. I'm Crazon, or <laughs> other Chris, the Canadian correspondent. <laughs> <laughs> ah, man, I'm glad to have you on board with us. Uh, I, hmm, how are things up there? Because it's kind of weird down here. <laughs> it snowed, so that was that was a nice change of pace. We're currently in lockdown where I am, so uh, yeah, I've been just at home for the last few months. Not able to leave. Twitch, twitch. <laughs> oh, hi, everybody. I'm David. Um, long-time listener, first-time caller. Uh, joining in because nostalgia and you needed an old man to bring the reminiscent teeth. <laughs> I appreciate that. Even though, I, even though I think we figured it up that I have eight months on you, but we're, you know, I'm just going to be the impartial moderator for these proceedings. I guess uh, this is Ian. Uh, oh. I do things. You're here to be the baby of the group. Yeah, and... I'm like, I, yeah, pretty. I, I look back uh, through TV monitors. I don't have any memories. That's pretty <laughs> much it. Yeah, Aww. your nostalgia is like the 2000s. My nostalgia is the 90s. Uh, Adam's here. nostalgia is the caveman times. <laughs> Ugh. Now, man, I tell you what. The the uh, impetus to this entire conversation about nostalgia and gaming stemmed from the fact that Thursday with. Uh, we have hybrid school and all my kids dropped in one class. They're all hybrid. So I've, I had free time to actually go out and I have students that work in the community and I was driving around checking to what, see like if cat people, the Navi, are they what do you mean? What kind of hybrid? No, are not... they? Oh, oh, well, like, are, they... are we talking like bebop rocksteady here? Or are we talking more like teenage mutant Ninja turtles? I think they get bebop their... rocksteady. They were humans. <laughs> I was going to say, did they get recharged? They was once a man. Electronically? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. It was horrible. But anyway, as I was going around, there was like an old, old style kind of pizza joint. Uh, There's like a Giovanni's where I work. It's one of those restaurants that, in, I don't know if it's like this in other states and areas, but you still have a few holdouts forever, like people that can smoke in restaurants and stuff like that. Definitely not like big chains or high class places like Applebee's, obviously. But, you know. I went into the restaurant, checked to see if the kid was working, and I just started thinking about that old Pizza Hut feel. You remember that old Pizza Hut feeling, David, from the 80s? Oh, I I definitely do. Like, you walk in, there's the pizza buffet that's all set up on kale, where you used kale as decoration instead of actually trying to eat it like a madman. (laughs) Um, I remember the Pizza Hut book club, where you would read books and you would fill out a little tiny book report, and once you got like six of them in a row, you got your own personal pan pizza. So you got like three bites of pizza for reading books, but it was enough of an incentive to... I've had a lifelong love of reading ever since because of those tiny freaking pizzas. They still do that, by the way. My daughter... That's awesome. Yeah, she. I take her to go get a pizza, and then I have to buy my own lunch so they get their money back because I'm buying a big boy pizza. But yeah, so that stale cigarette smoke... uh, arcades and stuff like that it just made me kind of nostalgic so the little sit-down tables with the galaga where you could just oh yeah <laughs> i didn't mean to cut you off there david i'm sorry I- i'm sorry it's my fault i was interrupted it's like no, I- no. it just suddenly hit it's like galaga table <laughs> <laughs> so not just to be the only old people here and we're going to kind of we'll, we'll get to you in uh not to oh, belittle you for your age uh craze on uh or, or team chris like you know, we're a little bit older than you and stuff like that. What's what's these childhood memories? A little bit older? You're a decade older than me, Adam. Wait, listen, it's all relative if you look at That's a little scale. bit. That's a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, there's a woman that I lived down the road from me. It was like 50 and had a heart attack. And I looked at my wife and I go, oh, man, that's young. Of course, <laughs> David, isn't it funny how that's getting young? It's just, it keeps like getting up there. Oh, yes. Like, I I recently lost an uncle. Um, who was 56. And the thing that struck us about it is that there is just that little bit of difference, 16 years. Um, Like when they were going through his phone, they found out that he was chatting with some of the bots on a website because he thought they were people. 
Oh, he thinks they're people. <laughs> he thinks they're people. Which uh, it gave us a tiny bit of humor to get us through. Um, we're pretty sure there's a Russian person somewhere that is just kind of going, I wonder where my Stevie is for a sexy times. He has not responded. <laughs> Somebody's going to have to tell his catfish, and I do not want to be the one making that call. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> so, Crazon, what about you, man? What's, what's the nostalgic from your childhood you kind of look back on? Oh, God. Um, so, yeah, I definitely was the tail end of the 80s and the 90s. Uh, so, like, are you afraid of the dark? Uh, there's a why. Uh, my the big thing that I always kind of think on, especially around like October time is there's a, there's a YTV, which is a channel up here, like broadcasting special that they did throughout the 90s called Dark Knight, where they showed like a bunch of um, horror like kid shows and, st- and like Halloween themed sh- specials and stuff. Uh, I've done a bunch of I, I did like a stint of of reviews of it um, on our other po- on my podcast, but um, yeah, no, it's just yeah that and like Bucky O'Hare occasionally pops into mm-hmm. my head because I had for some re- like I, Saturday morning cartoons kind of thing. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. No Saturday morning cartoons and those Dark Knight like specials and stuff I'd get I'd see on YTV are definitely the biggest nostalgia. We also had a bunch of malls in my neighborhood that I'm very fond of and like still think of occasionally of just like that. I get like kind of like with you with the uh, pizza, uh, pizza hut and such, like mm-hmm. just that, like the tile open area, like enclosed, like window, like skyline windows. And then like they had multiple tiers and there was these like food court, but it was also like a, like a kind of a, uh, you'd like go off to the side of the mall and there was like a th- indoor theme park kind of thing. Wow. Very very kitty like sort of like theme park uh like they'd have like a couple of like train tracks that went through this like large warehouse sized like section of the mall mm-hmm. with a bunch of like corny statues of dinosaurs and dragons and such yeah and i think that that mall's still around and that place is still around i think i went to it last year the year before you know before the dark times and it was yeah i got a rush of nostalgia because like that was where i used to go when i when i lived down in that neck of the woods as a kid and it's actually the same mall that uh is in police academy like five or four so <laughs> so it's like yeah it's like Think of nostalgia <laughs> yeah so it's like very 80s like late 80s early 90s um sort of feel for me like that's what that represents <laughs> how about you kentucky chris well, when I think nostalgia, I go back to a very special day in September of 2001. Oh, Jesus, here we go. <laughs> wow. You didn't even start out on the road. You were just pulled, you just immediately just went into the grass. Okay, Chris. <laughs> no. For me, in order, nostalgia, it is Pokemon, Sonic the Hedgehog, Extreme Ghostbusters, and Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. That is my childhood. Any of those if any of those come up to me, I am going to go off into a hole. You appreciate this here, man. I was uh, before we started recording, I had to bathe my children because they got school or make them bathe for the older one. But I had my five-year-old and I was uh, shampooing her hair, and I go, you know, trying to keep her busy. I go, Kalissa, what's your favorite Pokemon? And I was expecting Pikachu, but she goes, Fire Lizard. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, hey, you know, Charmander. Okay, that's good. Or could be Salazzle, depending on. Okay, yeah. Could be Charizard. Or Salandit, or it could be. Do you guys want me to just list every single fire type? No. No. Because I can't. I was going to go Magnamar or whatever the. uh, the, the, Because that kind of thing looks like a duck meets a lizard. Oh, you mean Magmar? Magmar, yeah. He's a duck who's had a butt, and the butt is on fire. (laughs) We just watched Detective Pikachu. Ah, Nice. (laughs) So, finally, hey, Ian. Yeah. I was going to say, now you're sitting at the at the adult table. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Just patronize him a little bit more. Yeah. Um, I'm yeah. going to stop. It's okay. I'm 40 and I still sit at the kids' table. That's <laughs> where all the fun stuff is. In, uh, how about yourself, man? What is nostalgic from your childhood growing up? That you, you're definitely looking back with rose-covered lenses. Blockbuster, probably. Also... All the animes, uh, Digimon, Sailor Moon, uh, Dragon Ball Z, Naruto. God, Toonami was the best. That's That was probably one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. Um, and just sometimes like sneaking. What was nice was like when you, when you were young, you were told, uh, really, like, I was a kid, you told you couldn't stay up past whatever time. 
and watch Adult Swim because that's when like, Family Guy, like the adult animes, were on, like Samurai Shaploon or whatever. And yeah. So we would always try to sneak up and watch that. Man, that was... I'm not going to lie. You were sitting there at Toonami. I was like, I was in college. <laughs> In my head, I was like, "Oh, yeah. I've, I've I've just aged." So, to kind of get this going with an RPG kind of setup here, we're going to talk about a few games that some of us have ran, or in some cases, some of us are wanting to run, and talk about the nostalgia of the system that's presented in the game system itself, or not the system, but the world. And then, I think if we can be a little creative here. Uh, if you've ran it, tell me what you've included that would be. Uh, if you've already run the game, then tell me what nostalgic elements of your childhood and growing up you've included in it. And if you haven't quite ran the game yet, uh, what would you put into said game? So I think it's only appropriate that I start with Kentucky Chris or the Mighty KC. <laughs> not that they just got a nickname. So you can't get. Let's, let's not do that. No, what? It's, I'm sorry. It's already happened. It's canon. I'm gonna put. It, I'm gonna put. It, this is your credits. You, you do that to me, Adam, and I swear uh, to God, I will hunt you. <laughs> I will hunt you for sport. I am an hour and a half away. <laughs> now, Chris, since I've known you, you have been pushing uh, monsters and other childish things. I would like you to kind of uh, explain the game to me a little bit and just what a nostalgic bu- nostalgia buttons is it hitting, and how do you plan to include like elements of your experience in in said game so uh monsters and other childish things is one role engine game uh where the concept is you are a kid and you have a best friend who is an eldritch horror and from beyond time and space but they fucking love you um most games are referred to as power fantasy like most games where you have like high-powered characters uh they're usually called power fantasies i would call monsters a power nightmare in that you, as the kids, are doing everything you can to not basically have these monsters ruin everybody's lives because they are absurdly overpowered. They can't even be hurt by tanks. The only thing that can really hurt a monster is another monster. So, I'm working on a game right now that I've been calling Summer Camp, and obviously, uh, you can kind of figure out what the theme of the game is. I'm guessing it's a camp that takes place at some particular time of year. Uh, yeah, actually, it, it takes place during Eve. <laughs> So yeah, uh, basically you uh, you're all kids who've been uh, done something like stupid or had something bad happen that was either yours or your monster's fault, and this is like your last chance to uh, get this fixed before you go uh, before you get sent off to like military school. Um, of course, the I- I'm like a lot of the nostalgia I'm drawing from this are from like stupid screwball comedies like Wet Hot American Summer and like Heavyweights with a little bit of folkloric stuff thrown in, which is less nostalgic, like, from a, I guess, a uh, regular standpoint, but it's kind of nostalgic for me because I've always loved studying folklore and ever since I was a kid. Okay. But yeah. Now, we've already did character creation for this, and three out of four people here have uh, kind of been actually working on characters with that, and I can tell you just from personal experience, when we were going through character creation, I based my entire character or monster on the old TV show Ghost Writer, W-R-I-T-E-R, not the Nicolas Cage movie. And, you know, that, that was a part of my, I think, early teens. But, uh, yeah, it's kind of fun to have that. Uh, what was yours, David? You were, what nostalgic elements were you kind of putting in your character there? Well, uh, it's you're going to laugh when I say it, I'm sure. But I, um, as a kid, was never allowed to have a pet. Um, mostly because everybody in the house had some kind of reason why they couldn't be around one. And I didn't actually get to have a pet pet until I moved out and was living on my own, which for those keeping scores, when I was 38. Um, and when I finally did get to move into the boarding house when I was 36, um, the animals that were already there kind of adopted me. And one of the things that just makes me so happy is that the cat who lived in the house decided that I was her human. And this cat was a tiny little murder machine, more so than the average cat. Like, I've talked to other cat owners and found out, no, she's psychotic. And so I decided that my child's uh, best friend, or the monster friend, is going to be the er cat. Like, the cat that the cat that originates all other cats. 
And so that's that's kind of where I went with Misha. Cool. on, I can't remember your monster. Uh, my monster was like pre-made before the game even started <laughs> because <laughs> I had a I have a retinue of of monster monsters and other childish things monsters and monster kids that I would I have always wanted to play. So I just I had I just had, didn't have any games to play them. <laughs> so I basically just took one of my old characters uh, and went with that. Yeah, my character is uh his monster is Pack Bass, which is a greedy. I guess libertarian from from what Chris made him into um, money grubbing, uh, money eating, uh, like bloated monster bass. Um, <laughs> that is definitely um, or that that comes from a haunted um, Atari con- uh, Atari cassette. So and is is definitely not in any way, shape, or form a ripoff of Pac Man, <laughs> and maybe a little bit. Um, yeah. So yeah, I just like the retro games, like just the aesthetic i love for those atari consoles or for those atari cassettes and such is there anything you'd like else you'd like to add about that onto that chris or um a lot of it i'm still kind of working on it's up in the air like i have ideas and i'm gonna be like i'm gonna be riffing on a lot of stuff like from the 90s and childhood yeah but um a lot of it is still pretty kind of loose I, I think the fun thing about nostalgia, well, it's not really a fun thing, but the thing about it is nostalgia is something that we tend to look back on fondly. It's not, you know, our memories are subject to, you know, being subjective and changing and we misremember things and they're not perfect as we go on. And when we're looking back in the past, it's really a thing of, I guess we're looking at the forest instead of the trees. We're looking at the, uh, I read that in an article that I'll link <laughs> on psychology and nostalgia. I'm not that smart to come up with that on my own. But yeah, we're looking at the forest instead of the trees and this overall feeling or interpretation we had of a time as opposed to particular instances in which um, would change that point of view. You know what I mean? Yeah, like none of us are going to talk about the war in Kosovo. No. No, broad strokes like, more than specific details because memories are fickle that way. <laughs> but we will yeah. talk about the Boppet, <laughs> yeah, and the Boppet Extreme that included the uh, flick it, twist it, pull it. I-, I don't know where I'm going with this, but so much <laughs> game metaphor. <laughs> yeah, seriously, the Boppet may be the gayest '90s toy, just <laughs> unintentionally. I love it. <laughs> well, besides that one Ken doll, now that I think about it. Oh yeah, the one. I I know exactly which one you're thinking about. The one that had the uh, cock ring on a uh, chain as an accessory. And the mesh shirt. And the mesh shirt. That was uh, Butterfly Magic Ken, where he came along with a bunch of tattoos that you could put on him wherever, but he started out with a butterfly tattoo. That one has actually turned into a collector's item. Like, trying to find it is impossible. Yeah, it's the most expensive Barbie doll on the planet. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's good luck trying to find Ken with the frosted tips. (laughs) <laughs> i must have missed this one i'll have to check ebay i'm sure it's selling pretty high on there not that i'm gonna buy it but i mean well actually if i do like i'm allowed to it's okay so so craze on save me save me um, so okay okay <laughs> we put pu- we published it's already out there your uh, little fears campaign set in the late 90s if i'm not mistaken of uh, 1999 for 1990 yeah i think it started in 1998 and then we went into Ectozoic Park. So <laughs> we've done a whole po- post-mortem on this, but uh, what about it? What what elements of nostalgia, not only just in the campaign that you ran, but for Little Fears, why was that the, the um, engine, the game yeah. that um, you used? <clears throat> Sorry. Uh, yeah, so Little Fears, I have, I guess I have, I guess at this point I have nostalgia for Little Fears because it was, one of the first things that I really like, one of the first actual plays that I really loved and latched onto with our uh, roleplay public radio uh, was the Polybius uh, uh, game that they had. And then I went on to like other podcasts that had actual plays and just like would devour their their archives of that. So I, I had a pretty fond experience just as a listener to like how Little Fears works and like how, how what people were doing with it. And then I eventually became friends with several of these people. Uh, from these from the podcast and like we'd talk about little fears and such um i even was in a couple of game a couple of campaigns uh before i ran i eventually got around to finally running it and it's just the 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 thing that attracts me about to little fears uh as a as mechanically is the uh the, the ability to play as like kill, kid characters in 
kid horror, like in the vein of like The Gate or The Goonies, The Monster Squad, Lost uh, um, Lost Boys, stuff like that, like that kind of like childhood horror stuff, or like yeah. having to de- having kids who have to deal with a monster. Yeah. And it, it, it's that fondness is like, again, like I, I mentioned earlier, I, my font, one of my big fondnesses is, is for a Halloween special from a broadcast from a Canadian broadcast channel <laughs> during the nineties. <laughs> so yeah. like I was kind of doomed from the start <laughs> uh, <laughs> to be, and, and like, uh, I can thank my mom for, for getting me into horror as at a young age, because she was also a, like very much a proto goth. <laughs> so I was kind of doomed from the start, guys, oh, yeah. <laughs> for for horror and creepypastas and stuff. <laughs> and so, yeah, like, and the 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 mechanically, like, you can use like little fears for like it's it's an open kind of system, like a toolkit system you can use for like um, like sci-fi, fantasy, horror, and like all those all the kinds of different blends of it. Like, you can have like realistic horror, or you could have like kind of fantastical horror, or whimsical horror. Yeah, the monsters can be whatever kind of monster you want to make. And there's even a kind of a, like a, basically a, an empowerment uh, for for the kids because they can uh, basically create like magical items or like do rituals to stop monsters with with belief or true belief, which is which I've I've also really latched onto as a concept from the get go. So Ectozoic Park stemmed from uh, me re- looking through Simon Stallenhag's Tales from the Loop art books and like the art stuff, the art uh, the paintings that he did of like those weird like dimensional creatures like like roaming around over top of a highway in the middle of the Nevada desert and like having the like military people like checking out robots and and dinosaurs cuz i another big thing in my childhood was Jurassic Park and Ghostbusters so i i took the the, the i took the the feel i got from the imagery of like of Tales from the Loop but I didn't want to go the full sci-fi supernatural. Like, I didn't want to go the full like hard sci-fi kind of bend that they use in that series. Yeah. So I kind of that's why I, sh- I I skulked away from from Tales from the Loot the RPG because I wanted to do something more like supernatural or urban mystery, like super su- supernatural sciences rather than just straight sciences. So that's kind. And then again, borrowing from the idea of like the the desert com- like the desert environment with like a small like dusky town that has to deal with some supernatural problem there's drumheller alberta which is uh, canada's haven for fossil hunters and mm-hmm. uh, like they've got a very comprehensive uh, dinosaur museum there so why don't the kids go up against ghost dinosaurs like dinosaur uh, like spiritual energy that uh, from like from ancient dinosaur times that has been reawoken and now these spirits of these dinosaurs are are now interacting with the uh the the waking living world and kids are the only one uh, the kids are the ones that are caught in the middle of this <laughs> rather than yeah. the the agents like originally the concept i was planning was going to do like delta green where agents from like an organization are dealing with these mo- these dinosaurs and then i got into another stint of lo- little fear stuff and i was like i'll just i'll just run it in little fears and have like kind of goonies adventures so i i know that the first time i played that or played a session of that uh did like one of those Stephen King it kind of moments, like with my belief power of, uh, you know, this is acid or whatever when he sprays uh, Pennywise with the inhaler. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, what was it the, the, the sack of, or the sock of nickels <laughs> or pennies? <laughs> yeah. I had that. Yeah. I, well, that was actually from my own childhood when I stood up to a bunch of boys and beat the shit out of them with a sock full of rocks. But um, <laughs> we won't talk about those transgressions. <laughs> Oh, nostalgia. Yeah. <laughs> they, didn't, you, they, you didn't, stuff. <laughs> they didn't fuck with Adam again. But um, would you say that the big driving force behind the Little Fear system was the, the power of belief, you think? Was that the most nostalgic element other uh, that amplified your own fond recollection, recollections of childhood and your desire to have went to Drumheller? Yeah. Um, yeah, like the, the belief thing system, like definitely... Uh, represents that kind of like yeah kid these kids are in a horror game or in a horror scenario mm-hmm. but they have an empowerment because of their like their ability to use like believe to believe that a again like you said like um that a a a a, a, a flower or like a, a pancake mix box can let you see into the ghost dimension <laughs> or 
uh, or again, like, yeah, like to, to, to tur- enchant a, uh, a mundane item and make it something different that can actually fight back against these things. And like adults can't do that. So like adults are dealing with the Cthulhu version of the scenario, whereas the kids are dealing with the monster squad version of the scenario <laughs> <laughs> or like the Stephen King's like it sort of scenario where like the kids are the only ones that are, that are, that are able to do something about what's going on. Um, and yeah, that, that definitely attracted me to the, the system and, probably why i pulled it closer to that uh for for ectozoic yeah but yeah and so you were asked an hour before we started this like hey what are you doing <laughs> want to jump in this but every game i played with you i think that you've ran except for the magical girls one which was magical in and of itself was uh set in the in the past i mean we're, i currently i'm posting episodes of our reign of terror campaign which i mean i'm sure we all have Nostalgic. Uh, oh, we have memories. Great memories of the <laughs> 1700s revolutionary <laughs> France. I'm sure we do. Hey, I played. I played Assassin's Creed Unity. <laughs> <laughs> right, because that buggy mess was very, yeah, very, very uh, accurate. I should. I should have just had it where you guys were like, "All right, you try to run, but you start clipping into the wall." <laughs> or people's faces vanish and you can just see their eyeballs. Yeah, into- <laughs> now start rolling sand as they start talking to you normally. You can hear their voices. See the oh, face. No, I know. I know. David and I absolutely love playing in Velvet Glove. Oh yeah, I and do the conversations that erupted from that game between us and Sean, and you know about music and stuff at the times was just it was great. I'm running loops at the moment. Uh, yeah, yeah, I've run a lot. I've run a lot of stuff <laughs> with with all these games and the more recent ones that I've kind of spoke about too. Though, what is the uh, I mean, you definitely have a love for it. It comes across as a player uh, in your games and then just the conversations and the research and all that. So why don't we just be more specific? What about the 70s and the girl gangs appear, uh, appealed to you primarily about uh, Velvet Glove, and which is, for those of you unaware, is a uh, powered by the apocalypse. Would you call it a hack? I mean, it was going to be published. It just hasn't yet. I don't know. I would say I would say at this moment it's a hack until it gets published. They said they were going to publish it in I think it was like November of the year that I had asked about that I'd asked the creator, and she said it was going to be this time, and I wasn't, and I haven't heard anything else about it, so I have to assume it's yeah been and then the Google horse the most active place you could have found any activity about it was the Google Drive but or the the Google community plus which is now defunct so I don't really know where else you could find yeah. stuff like that so what about the 70s do you has this nostalgic appeal to you that you incorporated in I've, the game? I've, I'm gonna be honest I think for me it was the the system itself and the idea of playing this girl gang that really got to me. And the fact that it was placed in the 70s immediately struck me as, oh, okay, it's just Warriors, which I absolutely love that movie. So I immediately went for, for that kind of ideal. And I think that the 70s has a good time to... What I like about it is there's this weird mishmash of sort of different styles and fashions um, because... The 70s is sort of moving out of the, I want to say the 50s and 60s style clothing, where it's kind of a little bit more, uh, you're getting kind of funky, but you also have that weird prim and proper kind of 50s feel. Um, It's moving more into the 80s, kind of punkish. And of course, we had a proto-goth as well, thanks to Sean. And I think that it, it was it's just this nice transition time period for everyone to play in. Uh, and of course, there's all kinds of exploitation films set during that time period and that took place there that were filmed during that time period that are really good, I would say, idea hot springs that you could use. Um, and I think that like uh, it really depends on what part of your of, uh, of research you want to go for. Okay. But yeah. There's so many deposits worth of dolomite in that that we can that we can just mine <laughs> yeah. all of the dolomite mining. <laughs> Do you remember much uh, about that one, David, and what kind of appealed to you about our game of Velvet Glove? Well, the thing that really struck me, and it's I know that we're going to tie into the kids on bicycles um, feel in just a little bit, but one of the things that appeals to me just about all of the kids and bikes stuff from the '80s and by extension the 70s, was the fact that culture spreads a lot faster these days than it did back then. Like, perfect example, um, Inauguration Day this year, 
there was a picture of Bernie Sanders sitting in a folding chair in the bleachers with his coat and a pair of mittens. And the Bernie in a chair with mittens picture has spread so fast across the internet and people just putting in different backgrounds, sticking Bernie in the chair with the mittens everywhere. Like, we wouldn't have even seen the picture until two weeks after Inauguration Day back in our childhood. And in the 70s, um, the way that you would get a single song would either be you get to listen to it and hear it once on the radio, or you would have to go to a record store, buy the album, and then you could listen to it whenever you wanted. But it was either a case of, do you know exactly where it is on the album? So that's where you put the needle, or you just have to listen to the whole album to hear the one song. And that was a thing even in our day, where Mm -hmm. we had CDs and tape cassettes right before, but you still had to go and get the cassette, you still had to go and get the out or the um, get the CD just for that one song. Now you can download the song the second that you hear it. You, there are apps on your phone where you can go. I'm hearing this song, hearing the tail end of it in the grocery store, and I can just kind of hit the button on my phone and go get me this song, and it'll do it like instantly. Back in uh, the 80s, growing up, we would have to go to the mall, find the one store uh, that was hidden in the back corner. And that's the one place where we could get anime. They would have four videotapes, and you would be able to buy one of those videotapes and just watch the anime. And then you had to share it amongst your friends because nobody could afford to buy all four of them Mm -hmm. because they were imported and super expensive. As opposed to now, where you've got the internet, you've got streaming sites. Um, There's even a, a service that is devoted entirely to bringing you the new anime. So it's not a case of, oh, this is the this is Japanese animation. We have three that we can watch versus all of them. <laughs> all so, the animes. All of them, <laughs> yeah. And that was the thing that just appealed to me with it. It's, all right, if we're going to be playing a girl gang, it's going to be just us. We're not going to have the cell phones to call in for reinforcement. We're not going to... We're really not going to be able to deal with um, things on a larger scale. Resources are going to be extremely limited because everything that we want, we either have to be able to go to the mall or go to a corner store and steal. Yeah. And like the thing about today versus then is that today everything is ubiquitous. Back then, not so much. Um, Yeah. (laughs) I'm just sitting here thinking back to the days of going to music shops and then you're if you had money and you were wanting new music and you had no idea what to go with, the, your only hint was album art. Oh yes, and yeah, you know, take a look at news of the day and tell me what that album is going to be about. Go ahead, I'll wait. I, I think it's I think it's very interesting when you have a lot of these games that uh, you also take into like considering what David just said. You know, in my opinion, Velvet Glove is probably the closest game it from like. Seven from time period of like seventies to eighties to ninety eighties nineties nostalgic that kind of thing that is more realistic in the sense because when you look at loops it's a it's the eighties that never was it has all kinds of futuristic technology and if you want to say there's a primitive form of uh cellular technology you can say that and it would be fine because of science fiction or if you have like the Sailor Moon game I ran you know it's Sailor Moon it's just science fiction fantasy. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, you know, you have aliens that just came out, um, and that's just nostalgia bomb all over them. Jesus, I didn't even thought about that. Yeah, I mean, they they use a high tech, low tech approach in aliens for their stuff. So, I mean, yeah. the little hand trackers, as opposed to actually having a HUD in a in a Google Glasses yeah. kind of thing. I mean, we're playing we're playing Cyberpunk right now, which is just a, a which is a, what the people thought the what, what people in the eighties thought the the future might look like yeah let's, let's, let's pull this thread by the way everyone jump in when you can i know i'm kind of steering this conversation as far as bullet points that i've, I've been wanting to hit i mean i was just going to at the tail end throw some stuff in about you know kids on bike i was going to mention if i can just jump in for half a second Please. all of the talk of nostalgia and what games have we run or what games did we want to run that never got a chance um mm-hmm. I have one that's been sitting on my shelf um, ever since I've had a bookshelf, as far as I remember, where I thought, oh, this is going to be so great. But problem is that I never got the right group for it because I never found the people who wanted to. 
and now they've had to change the name of the game. It is now called Big Eyes Small Mouse, and it's a uh, yeah. Anim- <laughs> <laughs> I'm leaving it in. Well, that coming. <laughs> oh, that's coming. <laughs> like you know exactly what this game is because Big Eyes Small Mouth uh, was a game about playing anime characters. And Big Eye Small Mouse specifically is the, you have a pet creature of unknown provenance, <clears throat> and you're going to make it fight other creatures of unknown provenance. Um, oh it was basically God. one of the early Pokemon games. But I will tell you that it's better than the original name, which was slightly problematic, mm-hmm. which was uh, Cute and Fuzzy Cockfighting Seizure Monsters. Gee whiz. <laughs> See that being a problem? Yeah. Probably for the just, best. Some, some just choices a, just are Just a little bit. Yeah. And, I mean, that was, that was, changing it is a good choice. It's a valid choice. I agree with it. But the original name has a certain punch to it. Like, you know exactly what you're getting into here. It's like, all right, um, Scrammysaur, fight that whatever the hell it is. <laughs> I, I, think, I think an interesting thing that I realized, I kind of realized while talking about this is that there's a very different feel depending on when the game came out or what time period the game is trying to play in so like uh nightbane uh which the the game about oh man you're playing clive barker's monsters superheroes um it feels very edgy very edgelord kind of 19 you know like anti-hero kind of game when compared to more i want to say kind of modern day superhero games where you're it's a little bit more uh, i guess i don't want to say upbeat but brighter uh it is it doesn't hit you with all the edge yeah nightbane is definitely an edgelord game with all of the edge in it and i feel Um, like literally uh masquerade did the same thing they really did those are both games where you start to play it and it's uh, i'm trying to think the right way to put it into the right words here but it's it's not a game that you play for escapism. It's a game where you play to embrace the suck of the world. And by embracing the level of suck, you stop playing the game, you walk away from it, and you kind of go, wow, my life really isn't that bad. Like That's mm-hmm. what it feels like those games exist for, as opposed to, I want to escape into a bright fantasy world. Like I saw a thing, um, a meme on Dungeons and Dragons today where somebody said, well, yeah, some of the escapism. Why wouldn't you want to go to a world where you can travel the entire planet, not be in crippling debt, have a job that you enjoy with coworkers that will actually have your back? And I thought, oh, that's a little bit too real. <laughs> yeah. Yep. <laughs> so Even if you're just murder hoboing your way through the world and just kind of going, I'm going to kill that orc so that I can steal his settee. Because that couch will look really lovely in our adventurer's guild house. How are you going to move it? I've got a bag of holding it will fit in. It's so cool how some of this stuff is reciprocating on top of itself. So, like, Dungeons and Dragons, you know, existed during this time period. And my early memories of Dungeons and Dragons was, you know, it's, I grew up, you know, during the Satanic Panic, but I was in the middle of nowhere, Kentucky. So it wasn't, there may be a, there was a mountain, which, a mine that I actually mentioned to Crates on a couple of times. We may go there when he comes down to Kentucky where supposedly Satanists met. Like that was kind of bullshit that we had here. But you, you know, D and D, you know, kind of had this negative rap in the beginning. And then if we flash forward to stranger things coming out in like 2016, the kids are playing D and D and it's kind of lump D and D. Not only is it benefiting D and D and definitely, I think it's probably made it, more popular even though it's a popular game anyway but it's kind of contributed to that tabletop renaissance that's going on but this nostalgia of being projected onto this property at the same time you think or am i kind of just pulling stuff out of nothing well i think that they're kind of tying it in in a couple of different ways because when we were kids being a nerd was seen as a negative and nowadays the nerds are the ones that technically rule the world because all of those tech nerds are the ones who have developed the things that make life better. Like all of the technology that I have mentioned, let's let's jump into cyberpunk for just a second if we can. I remember Cyberpunk 2020, the tabletop book. One of the coolest things that you could get in there was a phone you could take anywhere. Back in the day, for us, the uh, really cool thing was you could get a phone cord that was 30 feet long so you could have the conversation and move away from the phone table. And they had a flip phone in Cyberpunk that was 
ridiculously expensive. The concept of a mobile phone at the time was you could have a phone in your car Mm -hmm. that costs a king's ransom to use. Like if somebody called you on a car phone, you know that they were paying $5 a minute. So keep that conversation short. Nowadays, I have a phone that has the computing power, the same level of computing power in my phone as was used to launch the original space shuttle. And that is, it's it's mind-blowing. And my phone isn't even the top-of-the-line phone. That, that should say something about how far we've come. And part yeah. of the reason why Stranger Things took place, uh, one of the things that the director said that he was looking for was, these kids have walkie-talkies with a limited range. And I remember trying to figure out just how far your walkie-talkie would reach. And it was like maybe four houses, if you were lucky, uh, yeah. the kids' walkie-talkies. And so part of the reason why they wanted to do it in the time frame that they did is because if there is this conspiracy, if there is the mountain where the Satanists meet, you can't exactly just Google it and find out all of the information there is to know about the mountain. When I had to research something as a kid, I had to go for the encyclopedia, which meant going to the library Mm-hmm. and breaking out the books, navigating my way through a card catalog and getting all sorts of research documents and hoping that my library was stocked enough that it had them, um, as opposed to kids today who literally have access to all of the information at the world on their fingertips. But the downside of that, too, is that the kids today have to learn how to use all of that properly. And now there's too much information out there, and you can put fake information out just as easily as you can put real. So it's kind of a balancing act, I think. Part of that is the nostalgia feel. There's all of us that remember, oh, back in my day, we had the encyclopedia, as opposed to the um, as opposed to the flip side of it, which is the uh, you know you have to you don't have the same resources that we do. We really do live in a very bright time when it comes to what the technology can do for us. All right, so we've kind of been going over games that we've ran, and I probably should have started with my idea in the very beginning here just uh, kind of lay some groundwork. So don't feel bad if you want to go back and recant or add something to what you were wanting to do with yours. But I purchased over the summer, partly due to my experience with Crazon, with playing Little Fierce. I went out and purchased a copy and eBay gave me a $10 gift card. For some reason, uh, I went out and purchased a copy of uh, Kids on Bikes, which I love Stranger Things. I ate that up, just unashamedly done so. And... What I want to do with that is you can set it in any decade. So obviously I'm going to pick what I know and what I'm familiar with is the 80s, uh, late 80s, early 90s. And my dream scenario for this is that I would like to run something that touches on the satanic panic and something that touches on Twin Peaks. Because Twin Peaks was, you know, it came on in the late 80s, early 90s. Uh, early 90s early 90s 90s. i can remember uh lord i some of y'all probably heard me recollect about this like there was uh, a catchphrase like fire walk with me you remember that i think there was a Mm -hmm. song and then they made a movie like like, fire walk Mm -hmm. with me well my only experience with the satanic panic is after watching all that my and my mother would watch like good morning america or some shit that was on the three tv channels that we had growing up uh, she was talking about how some kid got in trouble with a with a cult of Satanists she heard about in California for writing Fire Walk With Me on his notebook, which I'm not making that up now. I may be misremembering that, but I can re- I have that in my head that, you know, this, you know, David Lynch series and, you know, getting tied in with this kid like that. So, yeah, I want to run something like that. So, I mean, there's some certain beats or things that I would like to kind of include into my own little nostalgic game of the 80s. Um, Jump in if you would like to comment on it. But first off, I think if I've learned anything from watching uh, Stranger Things and then playing in definitely ends Tales from the Loop game, which we really didn't talk a lot about in depth, is I think it's going to be important for me to at least reference pop culture. Uh, For example, I'm trying to think. It depending on when I started, if I started it in the late 80s, I would probably reference RoboCop because RoboCop was very scandalous when it came out for just for the uh, violence. Like it was originally rated X, which was pretty much reserved for, you know, adult films. 
So, and then it had to be recut and all that. So RoboCop, violent, bad language and things like that. I would like to probably include that. Like the kids have went over to a neighbor's house that is adjacent to a drive-in. And they're sitting there on the roof of the trailer watching RoboCop with a radio tuned into the broadcast channel. Like that would. Oh, yes. So much. Yes. (laughs) Also kind of hitting with the drive-in. If I were going to do another drive-in scene, I would actually like to pull a piece of my childhood. And this is silly, but I mean, don't trust me. I'll probably end up doing it with my own kids. But when watching films with my parents growing up, they were very liberal in letting me watch (sighs) shit. I think I watched the exorcist well they didn't think i was paying attention to it but i watched the exorcist but as a kid my favorite movies were predator and aliens and you know stuff like that down with as a parent now i think it would be awkward if you're sitting there listening to moans or something from like a brief man scene in your kids to pass i think childhood element that would be kind of important to add in see um, i remember the difference between parents uh because yeah. mom would not let us watch anything that she didn't think was appropriate. Uh, my dad would watch the movie one day when Mark and I were five and six. And it's like the other room. Are those the bad guys? Yes, those are the bad guys. Is Wambo killing the bad guys? Yes, Rambo's killing the bad guys. <laughs> but it's okay because they're bad guys. Okay. And so we're watching it. She comes in. We've got a big bowl of popcorn between the three of us. She's like, what are you watching with the kids? And she said, it's okay. I explained it to them. They're fine. Oh, my God. I had the... I- Honestly, I've had the exact same experience. I've had the, the that experience recently with my niece because <laughs> she'll she'll come into my room and watch. Um, uh, she wants to watch in quotes scary videos on YouTube with her uncle, <laughs> and, and those are and those are like those like top five or top ten like video lists of like totes real ghost in, ghost caught on camera guys <laughs> like those. Because I used to, like I got into a stint up for like a, for a year or two uh, where I was just watching those while I was like those at home. are those are really great for like monster kind of oh, yeah, style so yeah um but oh, yeah me so me and Millie would just basically cuddle up and watch these videos um and then like the next day I'd get yelled at by her her mom because she'd had a nightmare or she had scared her mom by by uh, going into her room and saying that. Uh, the uh, the man on the the man in the closet is is living um in the on the top on the the top shelf and occasionally tries to like crawl up on her ceiling. <laughs> so <laughs> I feel bad because I did this to my I did the same thing to my cousin when I was showing him Cult Modern Warfare Two because my parents were like don't show him that and I was like yeah okay I won't and then he comes down and I'm playing it and I'm like I'm too lazy to get up and turn it off so I'm just going to show tell him what's going on it's like don't worry I'm shooting russian terrorists it's fine yeah I've also had that we're like we're watching um like some of those corridor digital videos or something and she asks like why those people are are are, are getting shot and it's like well they're the bad guys <laughs> <laughs> don't worry millie it's all pretend <laughs> <laughs> It's a it's it's what, what movies are. They're fictional. <laughs> Fine. As soon as they said cut, everybody got up and walked away. It's good. It's good. I need some help. So let me task everybody else here. So I've kind of hit some of the things that I would include. Um, I don't want to go into too much. I mean, I but I want to know, like, if we're playing teenagers or like early teens, maybe or teenagers and all that. Like, how if you were setting something in the eighties, uh, late eighties, early nineties, like, what is the bad boy kind of Persona, uh, per- stereotype that, or not stereotype. Uh, what am I thinking? Persona, of? persona, no uh, trope. I guess what tropes or what? How would you make an eighties like bully? How would you make a uh, bully what or would you bad inc- boy? Yeah, bad boy uh, or bully are different. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, either or. Hit either or. I'll tell you my early memories from experience with bad boys. No, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> my early memories of like the eighties and the older kids and stuff like that was uh, seeing there was an arcade in a nearby town. And I remember my parents, I was like, I want to go there and play video games, but that's where the high schoolers and the teenagers all hung out. And my mother wouldn't take me there. But I remember seeing people wearing like, you know, girls with really teased up hair from the eighties. I remember seeing a couple guys with like mohawks and trench coats and shit like that, walking in and out of there, standing outside of it, smoking. So, in my mind, if I were going to show like you know rebels or anything or 
anyone like that, that would be the the images that I would be going for. The smoking was probably led to me smoking, to be honest with you, because I wanted to be a badass. Honestly, what's funny enough is like all that stuff today is just like, yeah, that's just common. That's just normal yeah. shit. Just uh, smoking? Yeah. Ellen, I'll be honest that some of my um some of my childhood as far as that is influenced by a super super religious granny. Like we were talking about Pokemon earlier. When it first came out, the tiny town where my grandma lives featured a Pokemon burning. Like they were literally getting all of the Pokemon stuff in the town, which they bought, and then proceeded to light on fire so that the kids would not be polluted it. by it. Jesus. Unless they bought it, then just Yeah, I, they did buy it pick... because good Christians, they don't steal. Yeah, if I had to pick so so two things for me would be if it's a bully it doesn't matter what it is. They would have to be either they they are either a blonde with a uh, a button fully buttoned up um uh polo shirt, and they're making fun of how poor you are, or they are a got they are a, a dude with a mohawk or really like non like really messy hair, and they're wearing a uh leather jacket. But for a bad boy, the bad boy has to look, has to have some form of non-conformist clothing or has to have at least black hair, slicked back black hair or just black hair in general, and has to be, like, uh, hot enough that the teenagers don't really care what gender, since we're all, since whatever, has to be attracted to them, but also just enough of an asshole that they don't like them but but could tolerate them. See, I'm like gonna that. I'm gonna throw a rider on that bill just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, bully means somebody who is going to make fun of somebody. So they will be the person who takes shots at somebody who has an obvious difference, mm-hmm. whatever it is, and they're going to go after the person who has an obvious weakness. Um, so for me, the bully is going to be the one who picks on the kid in the wheelchair for whatever reason. Uh, it's going to be the one who picks on the kid who gets picked last in sports. The one who screams out, oh, look, Timmy's the last one picked. Everybody throw the dodgeball at him. Dude, we're playing baseball. Throw the dodgeball! <laughs> uh, to also add on to that, um, generally, at least from my experience, because I did have a couple, of, a number of bullies growing up, um, mm-hmm. they usually have something um, something noticeably, like like they, like they themselves are also sometimes, are often... Um, like have a, a uh, an appearance that is it is non like not like with the norm as well like like not with the the regular crowd and such um mm-hmm. and because they're comp because usually at least from my experience for from bullies they are compensating for their own flaws by attacking uh, other people <laughs> with flaws you're talking about stereotypes so that's what i was going for yeah yeah well, well, maybe not stereotypes just as much as types yeah yeah like for me, I would see the bully as being the kid who has a bad home life and takes it out mm-hmm. on everybody around him. Yeah, that mm-hmm. right there. Yeah, <laughs> um, and picks on the kids that have the obvious weakness because those are the targets that are easy enough to take on. And I think that's the difference between a bully and a bad boy. A bully has a reason why he is going to pick on somebody. Now, it's not necessarily the good reason. Um, it's not necessarily a valid reason as far as the rest of us would be concerned. But it's good enough for the bully. Yeah. And the part that stands out to me about uh, just the bully in general is, or the difference between the bully and the bad boy, I should say. The bad boy is somebody who we don't necessarily know what their home life is like, but we don't have to. Like, we can literally not care because he clearly doesn't. Hmm. Um, He is self-assured enough that, um, see, we all say that, you know, what the bad boy wears is cool. I think that it's actually the opposite. Um, it's whatever the bad boy wears is cool, not because it is cool and the bad boy is wearing it, but it's cool because the bad boy. Okay, I'm trying to find the right words for it. No, it's he not, makes it cool. Yeah, he makes it cool. Like he could come in in a potato sack, and then the next thing you know, potato sacks are the in thing to wear. Everybody's <laughs> wearing a potato sack because Jimmy wore one. <laughs> yeah. And Jimmy is cool, therefore potato sacks are cool. Let's all wear the potato sack. The only other thing I want to add to this, so we kind of got an idea of some potentials that I could add for uh, antagonistic characters. I've kind of got some uh, things to include for my own life. And uh, I think, and Ian did a great job of this in Tales from the Loop. I've 
believe that I need to kind of start thinking of events that occurred in the late 80s, early 90s, just to kind of hang a hat on, so to speak. So, for example, I think that if we were setting it in the late 80s, that we could, and depending on the age of the kids playing and stuff like that, I think it would be really cool to have Saturday morning cartoons interrupted by the fall of the Berlin Wall. I would agree. Every decade has a where were you when this happened moment. Whether it was where were you when Kennedy got shot? Uh, Where were you when the Challenger exploded? Um, Where were you when the towers fell? Like every generation has a seminal where were you event. And I feel like if you're tying into any kind of event, any kind of nostalgia, you kind of need that event. And so whatever the decade is, the where were you when has to be in there, I think. Yeah. Do they serve as kind of anchors? Robots came to life. (laughs) Yeah, they definitely do serve as anchors. Like, um, no matter how you slice it, um, those were events that, in an odd way, they bring us together, whether we want them to or not. Yeah. Um, But at the same time, um, that also establishes the decade better than anything. Like, once you get to thinking about it, um, it's kind of hard to not, realize it like i can tell you the name of the restaurant that i was sitting in with my family when the towers fell i can tell you um that we were at school uh when when the challenger exploded mm-hmm. like we remember these moments because they were they were big events and i don't think that this current generation has that same event per se other than where were you when you found out that you couldn't go back to school when you found out that the plague was hitting the rest of the world just yeah. as hard as it was hitting us in the U.S. And um, you found out that school wasn't going to happen again for a while. Mm-hmm. Or like, you know, live school isn't going to happen again yeah. for a while, I should say. Like, oh, it's still school, but it's just a different kind. I mean, I feel like the, um, feel like to be fair, 20, 2020 has the plague, and then 2021 has the, uh, I mean, I don't want to jinx anything, because we've still got a long way to go, but uh, 2021, I'd already have to say, like, if the storming of the Capitol. I mean, yeah, if we were going to make something nostalgic of this time period, I think that uh, the unrest, much like how the Code War would be a focal point, or at least the background of anything said in the 80s, since, you know, Code War, Russia's going to get us, you had Red Dawn, uh, fuck, Rocky fought a Russian. Yes, and I must break you. <laughs> Uh, for our most recent game, and you can all, of course, listen to the newest releases on our podcast website. Uh, but the uh, most recent adventure loops game involved. The- mm-hmm. We got you, you reference these these things, and you know, even I mean, I just remember being scared of the Russians, but I don't remember why. And I remember that they were always depicted as bad guys. And uh, you know, I would definitely include that in my kids on bikes game. But I would also like to include things of the matter of, you know, if we were making a nostalgic game of this time period, you know, the civil unrest, I think, is a very big thing that's been going on for quite some time here, which I don't know if I would. I just not careful depicting things like that necessarily in games, so I don't perceive myself ever doing that. But, you know, the storming of the Capitol and then the division. Mm-hmm. I, I, to me, so this is what I think. For for all the nostalgia games, so for all as much as I love Loops, the thing is, Loops is it really depends on how much crunch you give your setting. Because I have problems with Loops setting in general. Of like, I feel it doesn't give enough crunch for the for the whole '80s that never was. It still seems to follow a lot of what the '80s was, um, and leaves no really lasting consequence. So I think a yeah. big thing that you're going to do is you should do is that if you try to make a nostalgia game. Try to try to either like here's the thing, I can run a Call of Cthulhu game anytime, but the Call of Cthulhu game I could run it in any time period, and I could use that as nostalgia. That's just the system. If you're gonna make a setting that is nostalgia heavy, I would just honestly just change it up, make it different, and add a more crunch to that setting. Because the fact is, to me, if you're gonna run something, uh, if you want to go for that nostalgia feeling. But like realistically, like oh man, remember this back in the day? Of blah blah blah. Uh, you could honestly just pick up the system and just use that system as run back in that time period. You really need a, a setting or anything like that? Do that. Um, or or you don't need to buy a setting book is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. But unless you're trying to do something that's 
very uh, different. Um, and so I think that would be a thing that if you're going to make something nostalgia for this time period, change it up. Uh, make it different. Do something yeah. crazy. Okay. Kind of see that. I think I'm gonna, as we kind of go toward the end of this here, I do want to kind of compliment you on doing Tales from the Loop and doing uh, Velvet Glove. And this is definitely something that I want to try to put into my own games. But the world building that goes on, you said that you made it very light anyway. But the fact that you made this light for your players allowed us to have this control in world building where we pretty much are able to flesh out. And you prompt us occasionally, occasionally we just throw things out there, mind you, but you provided us to add those anchors, maybe just personal anchors, but anchors that we have or or depictions that we have of these time periods into our games. And, you know, we made the, the 80s that didn't exist. Like if we were going to do kids on bikes and I misplaced my books and sitting down, I had it in my hand and I don't know where it went, but kids on bikes actually begins with you creating a town and you, you know, you'll go ahead and say it's here. And then you start like the table starts to saying, you know, bits and pieces about what's in this town. Now we didn't explicitly do that in those games, but you know, the way that you did it and the way that they're doing it, that gives us this player buy-in of, I got a feel for what you thought, and I'm not saying this condescendingly by in any means. And but, and you know, maybe David has a different read on this here. But with your uh, take on loops in the '70s, even though I wasn't around for the '70s myself, I got an impression of what stuck out to you, and you uh, allowed me to add mine to that as well. And I don't know, I. I know I'm rambling on this a tad bit here, but I think that leaving things kind of loosey-goosey to uh, allow for fee- uh, for player input or sitting down and doing a, a, a shared world-building build- setting to where we can explicitly put these bits and pieces into it. I'm sure, you know, if I were doing a Kids on Bikes game and asked David to describe the d- local diner in our small town of 2000, like, you would have, you would be pulling something from your childhood am i correct david or something you've seen at least i would be pulling something from my teenage years i would say let me give you the diner that i worked in these are the people that i worked with and you would still get a feel for a bit of who i am because of who i worked with who i was uh there would be a touch of who i was at the time and uh that that would be that piece of nostalgia that i would be sharing with all of you like the thing that I give Ian just absolute top marks for, the game was so engaging. Um, the game had so much of a nostalgia feel to it that we created a Spotify playlist um, versus the Velvet Gloves. The different songs that we had immediately thought of just because music was such a big part of it. Like the names of every episode were a song. And it was you, it was me, it was Sean, and we're all just kind of pulling songs from that time frame and saying, okay, this is the music that mattered at the time. This is the music that made the difference. And this is how we're going to tie it together is we're going to use music. And it it worked so well. And a large part of why it worked so well, I feel like part of that was the group itself, because not to toot my own horn, but I think that... Um, having lived through close to that time, um, living through the proto 70s, as it were, I um, I feel like I was able to tie in a lot of my own experiences, but I also feel like the group helped. But the entire reason why both of those things were able to come together is entirely Ian. Like you put together oh, a very good group, you put together a very good setting. And um, Loops is one of the games that I am still looking forward to, as opposed to you know how there are some games where it's like, oh, I have to play this one. Loops is a game that I get to play. Velvet Glove was a game that I looked forward to playing. And um, that's that's the thing. If if you make the game awesome enough, if you make the game engaging enough, you're going to make the players want to play it. And the games that you run are games that I want to play. Oh, yeah, you did an excellent job on it. And even though, as David mentioned, we hadn't experience that tr- head on 70s you know you allowed us to kind of hit on everything that we interpreted the 70s as being mm-hmm. or we heard about the 70s as being and you know you did a great job of re- and anyone who runs a game 
you know, you don't have to have grown up in the eighties to run a game set in the eighties and stuff like that. But if you have consumed media from that time period, yeah, or you just need to watch enough CNN documentaries. Yeah. Yo, I mean, they're, they're great fodder for that kind of stuff. Like I, like I'm telling you, man, like Twin Peaks had, and oddly enough, I've never watched a new season, but Twin Peaks had a, a huge impact on me at that point in time. And I say it would only be rivaled by in the mid to late nineties of doing the X-Files and stuff like that. That was also something, but um, I think I'm getting a little off topic here. So I think that's about it for today. I'd like to thank you all for jumping in and helping me go down memory lane, so to speak. I look forward to more of your games in, and I look forward to throwing my uh, Stranger Things, Satanic Panic, uh, Russian game that I'm doing Kids in Box. I don't know. But anyway, thank you so much for those of you tuning in. Uh, if you'd like to check out check us out, we're at uh, com. We also have a uh, Facebook page for facebook.com slash the roleplaying exchange. No, yeah, the roleplaying exchange. And if you would like to help us keep the lights on, we appreciate that. Any any small amount of change can do. So I come to you with my hat in my hand looking for money. And you can give me that money at patreon.com slash roleplaying exchange. And David, in thank you all so much. It's been, It's been a blast. And I look forward to playing and talking with y'all more. Always a pleasure. All right. Yeah, always a pleasure. Awesome. Well, until next time, we'll see you all later. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.